0: From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. A CQ magazine special report this week details new and alarming signs of climate change. Forests under attack by parasites, coral reef die-offs, and even a decline in the nutrients in our food. This at a time when government leaders in both Congress and the White House are more skeptical of the science and more resistant to regulatory changes than at any point in modern times. My guests today are Brenda Eckwurzel, Director of Climate Science for the Union of Concerned Scientists, who is joining us by phone, and CQ reporter Alvina Namaguna. Thank you for joining
1: us. Thanks for having me, Sean.
0: First, let's turn to Brenda. So, Brenda, our report in CQ Magazine details some of the latest findings on climate change. These go beyond what we've all heard about, like rising sea temperatures and sea levels. What are scientists seeing?
2: Scientists are seeing it goes way beyond changing global average temperature for the Earth. We're seeing that entire forests are changing the species because they're being ravaged by pine bark, be it all encouraged by these warmer temperatures, we're seeing that there are more algal blooms even on the northern lakes, such as the Great Lakes. Coral reefs are experiencing repeated temperature spikes that cause them to bleach, and some are dying, and we see that it's affecting drinking water supplies, uh, our farm crops and also wacky weather in the continental United States.
0: Let's take one of the most alarming problems that came up in our special report, a decline in the nutrients in our food. What are scientists seeing there, and how is that linked to climate change?
2: Yeah, that one is a complicated one because there's a lot of things that we have done to modify our food supply to try to feed so many more people in the world. So that's one factor. Another factor is that in food crops, CO2 causes plants to produce more sugar and starch, which displaces minerals and proteins. And one thing we know is that we learned in grade school that plants take up carbon dioxide and give off oxygen that we all breathe And more CO2, you would think it might be good for plants but some scientists are finding that, for example, the plants we don't like as much, such as poison ivy, will thrive and produce more of that urushiol oil that we're about 80% of people are allergic to.
0: And it's not only food. Clean water is also at risk. Why so?
2: What we find is that it's, for example, in the southwestern US, with higher temperatures, Scientists are finding that over this century, if we don't abate emissions of heat dropping gases, the Colorado River, an important water resource for the region, could lose 35% or more of its flow because of higher temperatures causing plants to lose more water from their uh, plant systems into the atmosphere and evaporation from surface water, rivers, and lakes.
0: And how does that affect the water we drink?
2: So what happens is, for example, the city of El Paso is spending a huge amount of money because their surface water supplies are diminishing. They have to go underground and pump water that has saline aspects that we wouldn't be able to drink directly. So they have to desalinate the water, which costs energy and uh you have to find uses for the salt, which they have found in El Paso.
0: Now, I was recently in Colorado and saw the problems they're experiencing with tree die-off, something linked to a beetle infestation, but also to climate change, right?
2: Yes, what we found is not only just in the Rocky Mountains, but in Alaska, for example, these are places in the high elevation or high latitude you expect to have cold winters. And the bark beetle normally would be kept in check by being so cold that they wouldn't be able to reproduce um, more than one cycle a year. Now the temperatures are so warm, some of these bark beetles could produce twice or three times a year, and they can ravage a forest, kill trees, and then if there's a lightning strike and a natural wildfire starts, just like kindling in the forest of Colorado or northern New Mexico.
0: Now, in Colorado, it's quite striking. Uh, You can see whole mountainsides where the trees are dead. And I thought it was the result of an invasive species, the Asian longhorn beetle.
2: Well, what happens is it's a combination of beetles are on the move. Once they ravage a forest, they want to find other forests. Um, So you have that. Beetles are on the move. For example, the... British Columbia pine beetle crop almost devastated most of the pine trees, and people are worried about it jumping across the continental divide uh, with that big rocky mountain, the northern part of the Rocky Mountain mountain range. And we have similar issues in the United States with, with pine beetle. And you can see this year-round, forests that are dying, the lodgepole pine, other really iconic species are, are being affected by the pine beetle.
0: You mentioned earlier the wacky weather we've seen in the Northeast during the winters. And climate change skeptics point to that cold weather and the big snowstorms and say global warming isn't happening. Why are they wrong about that?
2: <laughs> yes. What we see is that, in fact, with a warmer atmosphere, it can hold more water vapor so, if you have precipitation in the summertime, in the winter, it's not precipitation is coming down as snow. So, ironically, more snow in some places can be a sign of global warming.
0: And more polar. And what you
2: mentioned is the polar vortex right, story. Right, polar is, air. So, what happens is normally the cold air is kept up north with this very fast moving jet polar jet stream. However, since the Arctic is warming so much faster in the summer and affecting the fall temperatures and ultimately the winter it's not as cold up there as it used to be a century ago and even at the end of the last century so starting in 2000 we started to see that the polar jet stream started to become more wavy so it would dip down to Texas and sweep back up towards New England and where the, that jet stream is kind of brings our weather. So it means that sometimes we've been seeing a lot more prevalence of drought in California. The rain's not coming down there from the north sweep down of that jet stream. It's shifted a little bit Easter. And when it swings back up, it's bringing Gulf of Mexico moisture up to the cold Arctic air mass in the mid-Atlantic states, North New England, uh, the Midwest, we get lots of snow, nor'easters, and things like that.
0: In our CQ magazine report, we also have a story about algal blooms. What are they, and why are they linked to climate change?
2: Sure. Well, for example, lakes like the Great Lakes are famous for their cold-water fish species, um, uh, winter, sea, winter ice. And when it, we warm up the temperatures and the surface waters, These become conditions that are prevalent for algal blooms in the summer. And that can uh, change the fishery situation in the Great Lakes and the oxygen supply.
0: Now, the Union of Concerned Scientists believes that governments can take steps to what? Fix the problem or just mitigate it?
2: Well, we have many actions that can happen at the city, state, national, and international level to solve climate change. And the good news is that there's a lot of good engineering, a lot of good policy mechanisms that can help incentivize the change that would happen on a pace that we need to avoid some of the worst consequences. So that's important.
0: What kinds of things are you talking about?
2: So one of the things we can do is that, for example, that case where we're pumping water to desalinate, We could be setting up renewable energy to help do that because renewable energy does not use more water, which is a precious resource in the southwest, instead of using natural gas or coal-fired power plants to provide power to that desalinization plant. So the incentives that tip that balance not only help the people have more water in the southwest, but it's better for the Arctic uh, warming rate and weather and extreme weather in the United States.
0: Now, the Trump administration has recently taken steps to roll back some of the regulations that his predecessor, Barack Obama, had put in place. For example, regulating pollution from power plants and requiring that car makers meet certain gas mine- mileage standards. I take it you think those things are not going to help. Why
2: so? Yes. The two areas that are very important for the United States emissions of heat-trapping gases are our electricity sector and transportation so the 2 the clean power plan and making sure vehicles get down the road on less fuel are very important standards and the car companies engineers are designing better power plants better cars why roll back that incentive?
0: So some, of course, are skeptics about climate change, but others will say there's really not anything we can do about it, so why should we cripple our economy?
2: Well, that's just a fallacy. We could do so much. I don't believe that we can't solve most of the problems associated with climate change because a lot of renewable energy projects involve harnessing our own wind, our own sunlight, and these need to be maintained and um, installed in new installations. So those, those a lot of jobs. And supply chains, we could have them in the United States.
0: So, Elvina, I wanted to turn to your story, one of your stories in the CQ magazine climate change special report about coral reefs. Now, there was a report in the journal Nature this month that said that one-third of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia died off after a rising sea temperatures in 2016. So tell us a little bit about why coral around the world is dying.
1: Scientists have known for a long time that global warming could destroy the coral reefs and uh, the ecosystems that depend on them What's happening now is that they're realizing it's actually happening faster than they expected. The damage was more extensive and recovery might not happen anytime soon. With increasing carbon emissions, you have more carbon dioxide infused into the water. And when that mixes with the water, it changes the pH levels of the oceans. And that affects both the microorganisms and the marine sea life that depends on the coral reefs and also affects the coral reefs. And so we're seeing them bleach and we're seeing them die off.
0: Right. So this, I mean, coral takes, it grows very slowly, right? The, uh, the Great Barrier Reef is the product of thousands of years of growth. Yes. And one bad season in 2016, the coral can't survive when the water is above a certain temperature. And it turns white, right? First, when it, when it's reacting to problematic water, it turns white. And then sometimes it can recover, and otherwise it's gone.
1: Yeah, and and it's dying at a faster rate. And now scientists think that uh, by the end of the century, you will see coral reefs actually start to dissolve. And that's alarming. And they they caution that if we don't do something to uh, control carbon emissions, to stop global warming it's going to be catastrophic for, for the... Uh, right, underwater. and this is,
0: this is not just the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. I know, for example, in, in the United States, in the, in the Virgin Islands National Park, there's been significant coral bleaching uh, and coral die-offs there as well. So it's in waters all over the world.
1: Yes, and they are all somewhat interrelated. So uh, one of the people I spoke to said the, the, the solution is starting with what's happening locally and solving that because all of the oceans in some way are related.
0: This is not an insignificant matter because coral is very important to the ecosystem of the ocean. Can you explain to our listeners a little bit about why that's so?
1: So there is a symbiotic uh, relationship between the coral reefs and the, the underwater creatures that depend on them. And so when you have the fish and the and the crabs and all those things dying, you're taking away the food source for the corals. And when you have the corals dying and not being able to form calcium, you're taking away a habitat for um, the living creatures in there. And it doesn't stop just underwater. There's fishing communities that depend on, on fish for protein. In the U.S., it's estimated that corals account for about $3.4 billion a year. That's a huge economy that could be affected. Right. Uh,
0: so no coral, and that means a lot fewer fish as well.
1: Yes, and also it affects tourism because a lot of people spend money to, to go underwater to see the, the corals.
0: Right, the fish, uh, it's under, underwater communities in a way, the fish gathering around the colorful coral um, as feeding sites. And if it's gone, that's gone. Alvina, you also looked at this issue that Brenda raised around the nutrition of food. And Brenda discussed this a bit, but I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about specifically what types of food we're seeing uh, changes in the nutritional content.
1: So, this is a fairly emerging area of research into how carbon emissions affect the nutritional value of food. And what scientists have found is that it dilutes. Uh, the nutritional value of foods like wheat and, and rice in a lot of communities depend on that. Just think how much wheat we consume in the right, U.S. Right, that's a
0: staple for people worldwide.
1: Yes, so you ha- you're finding that the crops are growing faster, which is good for the farmers, but for the people who are consuming it, you're having less uh, calcium, less iron, less zinc, but more starch and small sugars. And we already consume a lot of sugars, especially in poor communities and, and in countries like in Southeast Asia and the developing world. And so in the U.S. with already high levels of diabetes and overweight issues, this, this, this could be something that would have bigger reper- repercussions in the future.
0: So thank you, Brenda, and thank you, Alvina. Thank you, Sean.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks for covering these important topics.
0: I am Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at Roll Call.